are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Well, as we take up our journey through the books of the Old Testament, tonight we come to the book of Daniel. Daniel is really one of the great characters of the Old Testament. His example has been an inspiration to believers of all ages. And of course, as we would expect to find from a book among the prophets, the book of Daniel is really primarily a book of prophecy. From the fulfillment of prophecy that we read in chapter 1 and verse number 1, all the way through the foretelling of prophecy uh, that closes out the book in chapter number 12, throughout the entire book there runs a strain of prophecy. The book of Daniel, very naturally, if you study it, divides itself into two portions. <coughs> Chapters 1 through 6 really focus on Daniel's personal walk. It tells us about Daniel's life. We know some things about Daniel. We know that Daniel was among the royal seed. We know that Daniel and his friends were taken captive in the first incursion that Nebuchadnezzar made into Jerusalem uh, as he came to uh, fight against the kingdom of Judah. Nebuchadnezzar was victorious. He came into the city. He took certain men captive, all as God had prophesied would take place, carried them back to Babylon. There would be two later incursions. He would come again, take many of the middle class people in that incursion. He would take men like Ezekiel, carry them back to Babylon. Finally, he would make a third and final incursion. And on that occasion, he literally destroyed the city. He completed the looting of the temple, burned it with fire, burned many of the uh, major homes in the city with fire, tore down the walls. Jerusalem was left a ruin and everyone was taken into captivity. But Daniel was at the forefront uh, of this move to carry the people into captivity. And really chapters one through six are basically a narrative of events in the life of Daniel as he's taken into Babylon as a young man, probably in his early teens, and his life continues on through until the reign of Caesar, uh, who is king of the Persian kingdom, the Persian empire. Then we get a shift from, from Daniel's personal walk, chapters 7 through 12 really focus on Daniel's prophetic writings. And really, Daniel writes some of the most amazing prophecies. It's really quite incredible. And the book of Daniel uh, is really primarily a prophetical book because even in the narrative of Daniel's personal walk, you find a strain of prophecy that keeps arising uh, time after time through the book. Now, as we consider this book tonight, I want you to notice several things. I'm going to try to hurry the best I can uh, but I, I, you listen fast, I'll talk fast, and I'm not sure that we'll get done fast, but we'll try, all right? Uh, so first of all, I want you to notice several things about the book. Number one, the book of Daniel is a complex book, all right? Let's just get that out of the way. I want to be the first to acknowledge that the book of Daniel is a complex book. 
It is a book which uh, really, the first half seems to be fairly straightforward. We can sit down, we can open it up, we can begin to read it. And really it's fairly simple, it's fairly easy to comprehend and understand. These events which occurred in Daniel's lifetime. Now we get to the second half and the challenge arises. Because in the second half, Daniel's book is filled with prophetic dreams and visions which really in their scope encompass more than 2,500 years of time. We're not sure exactly how far they go because we don't know what the end is yet. And we know that Daniel's prophecy reaches all the way to the end. So it's really quite complex. Some of the prophecies have been fulfilled, others yet await fulfillment, and there are even some that have been partially fulfilled but not yet completely fulfilled. They're not given to us in chronological order. They're given to us kind of in a random order. To us, it appears, but to God, everything is done with a purpose. Can I say even the language of Daniel is complex? Daniel is a very unusual book in that in its original form, in its original writing, it appeared it was given in two completely different languages. Uh, The book opens in Hebrew like we would expect a Jewish book to open. But in chapter 2 and verse number 4, the language abruptly changes. It changes from Hebrew to to, uh, Aramaic, which was the official language of the kingdom uh, of Nebuchadnezzar. And from chapter 2 and verse number 4 all the way through the end of chapter number 7, all of the writing of the book of Daniel is given to us in Aramaic. And then all of a sudden in chapter number eight, Daniel switches back to Hebrew. Now, I don't know about you, but I get confused enough in one language, much less heaping up extra languages. Someone said, can you speak Japanese? And I said, skoshi. That means just a little. And I'm in good company because Algu told me he's a Japanese, born in Japan, raised in Japan, lived in Japan. He even told me that Japanese is hard. So I don't feel so bad now as a, as a foreigner going to Japan, Japanese is very difficult. I, I, I told someone, I said, I, sp- I, I speak several languages, but I'm only fluent in one, and that's Southern. <laughs> I'm not even sure all that I say is proper English, and I'm sure tomorrow I have a speech class, and I'm sure all of my students are busy taking notes. Uh, Brother Bertram, you said this, and you did this, and you told us not to do this. Uh, See, I'm giving you a demonstration of why it distracts from people. So take good notes and we'll compare in class when we get there. But Daniel is a complex book. It's written in multiple languages. You say, why in the world would someone write a book and write it in two different languages? It's very interesting to note that this is not by accident. Could I say nothing in this book is by accident? Nothing is by happenstance. Nothing is by mistake. Every word of God is set in order as God has seen fit. And God has a plan and God has a purpose. And God did it the way he did it because God had a reason behind doing it. Our our problem is not that we need to dispute and argue and question and doubt. When you don't understand, accept it by faith. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. Can I say God's not going to tell you and explain everything to you? Because if he did, you could not be pleasing to him. God wants you to be pleasing to him. So he says, I'm going to have to leave a few things mysterious 
and not able to be understood. So when you can't figure it out, you can just faith it out. You can just say, I'm going to trust God. He knows more than I know. And when I get to the end of the journey, if I have questions, I'll ask him. But really, when you get to the end of the journey, you won't care because you'll know it was all good. And God did a, a wonderful job. You say, why in the world is the book written in two different languages? Well, it's interesting to note that the parts that are written in Aramaic deal with the future of the Gentile nations. While the parts that are written in Hebrew speak of that future as it relates to the Jewish people. See, it makes perfect sense. The parts that are dealing with the Gentiles is written in a Gentile language. The part that focuses on that that future as it relates to the Jewish people is written in a Jewish language. God knew exactly what he was doing. God put it in order. You see, God's original plan was for the Jewish people to have not only spiritual supremacy, but secular supremacy in the world. That's what God wanted for the Jewish people. However, the Jewish people refused to walk in God's ways. They refused to obey God's word. They refused to live by God's guidelines. And so God decided that judgment had to come. He had, he had told them in Deuteronomy chapter number 28, if you refuse to obey, this is exactly what's going to happen to you. Go back and read Deuteronomy 28 and you'll find that it details Jewish history before it ever happened. God knew what they would do and God told them what the consequences would be. When Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians came into Jerusalem uh, and began to make that first incursion, guess what happened? Secular supremacy was removed from the Jewish people and handed over into Gentile powers. And it ushered in what Jesus referred to in Luke 21 as the times of the Gentiles. And the times of the Gentiles will continue until the end of the tribulation period. Then, not only did the Jews lose secular supremacy, but when they had the offer of the kingdom from the Son of God and they rejected Christ as king and they shook their fist and said, we have no king but Caesar, crucify him. At that moment, they lost spiritual supremacy. And that was handed over into the hands of the church. And it will remain in the hands of the church until the rapture. And when we're called away, God will begin to unfold his plan. You see, it's not over yet. The end has not been written. It's not finished. Even though God took away secular supremacy and God took away spiritual supremacy, I've read the last chapter of the book and I know that eventually it winds up in Jewish hands just like God intended. For one day there will set a king on a throne in Jerusalem who will be high and lifted up. He will rule and reign with a rod of iron. He will hold spiritual supremacy and secular supremacy in his hands. He will rule the world and his name is Jesus. You see, God's plan will be fulfilled eventually. I'm glad that it was written in Hebrew. I'm glad that it was written in Aramaic. But I'm certainly thankful tonight that God preserved it for us in English. Not only did he preserve it for us in English, but he gave us the Holy Spirit to live within us, to instruct us so that we might understand what he's written. And though you may not understand Hebrew or Aramaic or Greek, can I say tonight, if you're born again by the grace of God and you'll attend to the voice of the divine tutor, 
you can understand the most complex book in the word of God. For God has not written a mystery, but God has a plan that he wants to unfold and instruct you and me in this life. The book of Daniel is a complex book. Could I say this very quickly tonight? The book of Daniel is a critical book. It's a very critical book. It has been stated that the prophecies of Daniel are the key to the book of Revelation. If you do not have the book of Daniel and understand the prophecies that are given, you will struggle with the book of Revelation. Everybody wants to understand Revelation. Can I just say this? Honestly, when I get chapter four and verse number one, I don't worry too much about the rest of it because I'm out of here. You say, oh, I'm worried about this and I'm worried about that. Well, just get saved and you don't have to worry about it anymore. Because in chapter four and verse number one, you hear a door, you see a door open into heaven and you hear a voice saying, come up hither and we as children of God will leave this world behind. And we're gonna be safe at home with our heavenly father, with our elder brother, Jesus Christ, with our bridegroom. We're gonna be there when all chaos is unfolding on earth. There's nothing to be worried about. Just get born again and you'll feel a lot better about the whole thing. But the truth of it is, the book of Daniel holds the key that helps unlock the mysteries of Revelation. And without a doubt, the prophecies of Daniel are critical to our understanding of what God has in store for the future. Could I say this? Not only is it a complex book, not only is it a critical book, but therefore it follows very naturally that it would be a challenged book. For centuries, the enemies of God have viciously attacked and tried to discredit the book of Daniel. Critics have attacked the miracles that are recorded in the book. They have attacked its prophecies. They have attacked its language. They have attacked its history. Over and over, they bring a railing accusation against the writings of the prophet Daniel. These attacks come because of the value and importance of the book itself. Since so much of the book has now been fulfilled in history, and that in very particular detail, really the book of Daniel confirms the faith of the believer and confounds the critic, and the critic has no answer except to try to discredit the book of Daniel because if Daniel is true, then there is a God who knows the future and can tell you what's gonna happen before it ever occurs. It's a critical book, it's a complex book, it's a challenge book. But could I just give you some comfort tonight? It is a confirmed book. Although the book of Daniel has been relentlessly attacked by scholars and skeptics, there are two great witnesses to its authenticity and its accuracy. It has been confirmed, first of all, by the pages of history. An eminent scholar by the name of John Wolverd writes this. He says, there is no other book of the Bible that has been so completely and accurately vindicated by history. The majority of the prophecies have been fulfilled in every detail. For example, the first 35 verses of chapter number 11 of the book of Daniel contain approximately 135 prophetic statements that have all been literally fulfilled in the precise order in which they were given. Amen. Did you get what I just said? The first 35 verses of Daniel chapter 11 contain over 135 prophetic statements that have all been precisely, exactly fulfilled in the exact order that God gave them to Daniel. Amen. 
You know why? Because God is God and God knows what's going on and God knows what's going to happen. And God can write history just like uh, before it ever happens, just like you and I write it after it happens. And the, the, the critic and the skeptic, they can't understand it. They can't accept it. And so they have to say, well, Daniel must have been written as history, not as prophecy. But can I say it's a prophetic book and God penned it before it took place. But more importantly than just being confirmed by the pages of history, the book of Daniel is confirmed by the person of Christ himself. And most certainly the living word of God would have some knowledge concerning the written word of God. To Jesus, Daniel was a real person. In fact, Jesus even addresses him by his proper title when he calls him Daniel the prophet. Jesus quoted him three times in his own prophetic discourse recorded in Matthew chapter number 24. Could I just say tonight, I think I'll side with Christ rather than the critic. I think I'll believe the Savior rather than the skeptic. When you wonder about those who believe that Daniel is a book of prophecy and it really is authentic and it really is accurate, just count me in. I'm on Jesus' side. I'll take the book of Daniel. You can challenge it, you can scoff at it, you can argue against it, but I'm gonna side with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I'm gonna believe the book of Daniel. Could I say tonight, it's a complex book, it's a critical book, it's a challenged book, it's a confirmed book, but I wanna share with you tonight that it's a comforting book. Oh, the book of Daniel is such a comforting book. It's comforting because it speaks to us about God. Remember what Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter number 26 in verse number three. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. You say, well, I'm just upset. I'm in turmoil. I'm anxious. I'm worried. Well, why don't you get out the Bible and read it? Why don't you turn off the news? Why don't you lay down the newspaper? Why don't you turn off the radio? And why don't you just pick up the Bible? You'll be amazed if you'll get your mind stayed on him. How comfortable you'll feel. How much peace you can enjoy. It's that peace that passes all understanding. And the book of Daniel will give you that kind of comfort, that kind of encouragement. There are really two great truths about God that are found in Daniel that bring us tremendous comfort. First first of all, there is the comfort of the foreknowledge of God. Daniel proves that God knows the future. Really much of what would transpire in what we refer to as the 400 silent years between the end of the book of Malachi and the opening of the book of Matthew, much of what would transpire in that time was actually foretold by God in the book of Daniel. Have you ever noticed the Old Testament closes with Persia being the ruling empire, uh, they, they are in control of the world. Well, when you open the book of Matthew and the New Testament opens 400 years later, the Roman empire is now seated and controls the world. And somewhere in between, the Persian empire collapsed and fell and the Grecian empire under Alexander the Great rose. Alexander was killed, his empire was divided into four parts and it ultimately fell, and the Roman Empire rose, and every detail of that was recorded in the book of Daniel before it ever happened. Can I say God knows what happens? 
And by the way, lest you discount the foreknowledge of God, could I say tonight that God knows who you are? God knows where you are. And God knows what lies in store for you. I don't know about you, but that brings me great comfort. I don't know about tomorrow, but I know who holds tomorrow. And I know that he holds my hand. I think I'll just sell on with him. Everything's going to be all right. Not only is there great comfort in the foreknowledge of God, but Daniel teaches us and gives us great comfort in the fact that he addresses the faithfulness of God. Daniel proves that God is not a God that just shows up and then disappears. But that he is a God who is faithful, who is the same yesterday and today and forever. You know, over the course of Daniel's life and in the book of Daniel, we read of many kings which come and go. In our text this evening, we read of Jehoiakim. You'll study his life out, you'll find that he was merely a puppet king. There is Nebuchadnezzar that we read of tonight in chapters 1 all the way up through chapter 4. And you'll discover if you study his life that he was a proud king. There is Belshazzar in chapter number 5. He is a perverse king. There is Darius in chapter number 5. He's merely a partner king. In fact, you come to the end of Daniel's life and there is Cyrus. He's a prophesied king. Before he was ever born, Isaiah called him by name and told what he would do. Can I just say tonight, if you haven't figured it out yet, you hold in your hand a miracle book that talks about a miracle God that miraculously knows everything before it ever occurs. But you see, these kings all come and go. They rise and they fall. They're here today and gone tomorrow. But Nebuchadnezzar finally, at the end of his life, he recognized that there was another king. In fact, he says it this way in Daniel chapter 4 and verse number 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. All whose works are truth and his ways judgment. And those that walk in pride he is able to abase. I'm glad that the true king in chapter number one is still king in chapter number 12. By the way, he has a lot of titles. He's called the king of the Jews. That reminds us of his people. He's called the king of Israel. That reminds us of his place. He's called the king of righteousness. That speaks of his perfection. He's called the king of the ages. That tells us about his perpetuity. He's called the king of saints. That reminds us of his pardon. He's the king of heaven. That tells us about his peace. He's the king of glory. That speaks of his pomp. And he's the king of kings. That tells us about his preeminence. You study him out in the word of God, you'll find that he's a racial king. He's a national king. He's an ecclesiastical king. He's a spiritual king, a historical king, a celestial king, a supernal king. But I'm glad tonight that he's a personal king. King of my life, I crown thee now. Thine shall the glory be. Could I say, oh, that with yonder sacred throng, we at his feet may fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. 
Can I say tonight, there's great comfort in knowing that God, who was on the throne in Daniel's day, is still on the throne today and will be on the throne forever and forever. We can trust in him. Oh, it's a complex book. It's a critical book, a challenged book, a confirmed book, a comforting book. But can I say for us who are gathered here this evening, the book of Daniel is a challenging book. The book of Daniel is a book that challenges us to live for God despite the difficulties or dangers. And this brings me to the R word for tonight. Some of you thought I had forgotten. You thought I was remiss. Perhaps you were regretting. You were filled with remorse. But I must restrain myself. And the word for tonight, for the book of Daniel, is resolve. Resolve. In fact, we read it so clearly in our text, verse number 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Daniel resolved that he would not cower in fear. Daniel resolved that he would not complain about his fate. He resolved that he would not compromise his faith. He resolved that he would not cater to the flesh. In a time when people chose popularity over principle, conformity over conviction, acceptance rather than adversity, and the philosophy of the world instead of the precepts of the word, Daniel stood firm. When they said no one will know, Daniel said God will. When they said no one really cares, Daniel said God does. When it was uncommon, unpopular, when it looked unprofitable, and it certainly was uncomfortable, Daniel just stood firm. By the way, could I say this? Daniel was resolute without being rude. Daniel was determined without being disrespectful. Daniel was uncompromising without being unmannerly. We have to get rid of this idea that in order for me to stand and be a Christian, I somehow have to be obnoxious about it. Can I say you can be a Christian and be a gentleman or be a lady? You can be firm without being unkind. You say, how do you know all that about Daniel? Oh, well, I just read the book, Daniel chapter number six, verse number three. Then this Daniel was preferred, preferred above the presidents and the princes because an excellent spirit was in him. Can I say, young people, one of the great things you'll learn to develop is an excellent spirit. You can be a real Christian and be a gentleman. You can be a real genuine Christian and be a lady. You can do right with the right spirit. It is possible. And by the way, the Bible says that Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king fought to set him over the whole realm. You will discover this. An excellent spirit will lead you to excellent opportunities. We sometimes complain about the lack of opportunities. Maybe it's because our spirit is not right. And if we just got our spirit right, doing right with the right spirit, God then would open up doors of opportunity for us. 
because we could be effective in service for him. Let me give you four quick illustrations which show Daniel's resolve. First of all, I would say when Daniel was tempted to canker, he resolved to stay sweet. You say, what do you mean, preacher? I didn't see that. I've read the book of Daniel and I don't understand that. Well, let's stop and think. Daniel is a teenager, probably in his young teenage years, 13, 14, 15 years old. Daniel, first of all, encounters trouble. War comes to his land. He experiences the woe of being separated from his family, carried off into captivity. Can I say, sometimes when trouble comes, it causes us to get bitter. We begin to canker. We harbor those wounds and those hurts and we help them to fester. But could I say that in my mind, worse than just the troubles that came, Daniel experienced some great tragedies. He was carried into captivity. Now I don't know anyone who wants to live their life in captivity. But Daniel was. But can I say this? I believe with all of my heart from a careful study of the Word of God, and I want to be very careful how I say this, I believe that Daniel experienced cruelty of the worst kind against himself. Look at, look at chapter 1 just very quickly. Verse number 3. The king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs. Verse number 7. Unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. Verse number 8. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that it might not defile himself. Verse 9, now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. Verse 10, the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel. Verse 11, then Daniel said to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel. You, you get the idea in this chapter, God keeps bringing up this, this idea that Daniel is under the care of the prince of the eunuchs. That is the prince, the overseer, the head, the one who's in charge of whom? Of the eunuchs. I believe that when Daniel and his friends were carried into captivity, that they were violated and mutilated in the most personal way that a young man could be violated. You, you say you can't prove that. Well, when you get home, read Isaiah 39, 3 through 8, and 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 14 through 18. Isaiah the prophet said to Hezekiah, the day is coming when the king of Babylon will come and your seed will serve as eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Now, if anybody had a reason to get bitter, it was Daniel. You never read of him having a wife. You never read of him having children. And he lives to be an old man, probably 80, 90 years old. But Daniel said, though other people may hurt me, I'm going to do what's right anyway. Though I can't control what they do to me, I can control how I respond to them. Oh, can I say that's one of the greatest lessons you'll ever learn from Daniel. Because I'll promise you, when you go through this life, people are going to hurt you. Some will do it intentionally, some will do it unintentionally. And if you're not careful, you'll let that hurt, fester, and begin to canker. Oh, but could I say, learn to be like Daniel and just stay sweet.
Say you meant it unto me for evil. But somehow I believe that God meant it unto me for good. I'm just going to walk with God and trust God. I'm going to get beyond my hurts. I'm going to get beyond my wounds. I'm going to get beyond how people have offended me. And I'm going to live a life that brings honor and glory to God no matter what everybody else does or what anyone else says. You see, Daniel has a tremendous name. The name Daniel means God is my judge. Daniel reminded himself that every man must give account of himself unto God. Daniel wanted to live his life so he'd be ready when that occasion came. Very quickly, more familiarly, not only when he was tempted to canker, he resolved to stay sweet. In chapter number one, we find when he was tempted to compromise, he resolved to stand strong. You see, in Daniel's life, the Bible says very clearly he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Other people may defile him, something he couldn't control, but he would not defile himself. You could change his surroundings, but you couldn't change what Scripture said. In Daniel's mind, what was sin in Jerusalem was sin in Babylon. And he said, it doesn't matter where I'm at, it matters what the Word of God says, and I'm just not going to compromise. Everybody else may be doing it. It may be the popular thing. It may be accepted. My peers may be doing it, but I can't help what they do, but I can't help what I do, and I'm not going to do it. And he stood strong and firm. He resolved. Could I say in Daniel's chapter 4 and 5, I believe we could look if we had time. We could study and we could find that when he was tempted to conceal, he resolved to speak the truth. You'll find two different occasions, once before Nebuchadnezzar, once before Belshazzar, when Daniel has a vision, a dream, and he comes with an interpretation that is not a good interpretation. It is not an interpretation that is favorable to the king. It is not an interpretation that's going to win him plaudits and prizes. But rather than compromise what the message is, Daniel simply speaks the truth. In chapter number four, he tells Nebuchadnezzar that God is going to judge him. God is going to cut him down. He's going to be like a wild, crazy man. He's going to live like a beast for seven years. He determined that he's going to tell the truth. He's going to speak accurately. In chapter number five, he reads the handwriting on the wall for Belshazzar. And he says, your days are numbered, you're weighed in the balance and found wanting. Can I say many times when we stand before the world, we're tempted to compromise and conceal What thus saith the Lord. Can I say just make up your mind that you're going to speak the truth. You're going to tell it like God told it. You're not the writer of the message. You're just the delivery boy. You're just the one that carries what God has said. And if they get angry at you and they reject you, they really haven't rejected you. They haven't gotten mad at you. They've gotten mad at God. You're just the mailman. When Daniel was tempted to canker, he resolved to stay sweet. When he was tempted to compromise, he resolved to stand strong. When he was tempted to conceal, he resolved to speak the truth. And finally, in Daniel chapter number six, when he was tempted to conform, he resolved to stick steadfast. They said, Daniel, a law has been written. You can't pray to anybody but the king for the next 30 days. Most Christians nowadays, that wouldn't bother them because they don't pray but once every 30 days anyway. But Daniel, he didn't do anything spectacular. He didn't do anything unusual. 
He just did what he always had done. Can I say this? We better resolve that we're not going to cave in the crisis. We're not going to give in when opposition rises its head. When the way gets rough, the path looks dark and lonely. Let's just resolve like Daniel. I'm going to do what's right. And can I say this? God allowed Daniel an extended life. And he opened a door for him to an eternal ministry. Thousands of years ago, Daniel lived. And yet tonight, we look to his story. And we learn. And we say in our heart, God help me to be like Daniel. God says, Daniel, there's another trophy on your shelf. There's another star in your crown. There's another reward that you have earned. You see, when Daniel was going through it, it didn't look so great. But it always pays to be faithful and do what's right. You will never wind up having regrets when you resolve to be faithful to God. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.